Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's Corona time. We're on the Spencer Lodge podcast today, and I am joined by an awesome guy that I got to know a while ago, Nada Sabri. I'll tell you about him in a second, but uh, as you can see, we're doing all of this podcasting nowadays on Zoom, no face-to-face stuff, and even though Nada's just probably five or six kilometers up the road to me, and I'd like to have him here with me, um, it's better safe than sorry. So let me introduce my next guest. A strategist, innovator, entrepreneur in NASA, space, tech, government, health and wellness, etc. He's raised 20 million directly and over $100 million indirectly for startups and $3 billion in foreign direct investment. He's focused on helping CEOs, founders and leaders hack their growth for 10x growth. He's also the author of a bestseller, Ready, Set, Growth, and a beginner's guide to Growth Hacking Success, available in Amazon. So he's probably going to plug the book on the show as well, um, <laughs> which we'll let him do because we're going to be kind to him. But really, I mean, if you if you look at him in, in his rawest sense, he's a growth hacker. And I know some of you out there will go, oh, I know what a growth hacker is. And some of you will go, yeah, I've heard that term before. What does that mean? And some of you might go, what on earth is that? But without further ado, let's welcome him to the show. Nada, thanks for coming on, mate. Hey, how you doing, man? Thank you for having me. No problem at all. Nice to see you today. So before we get started um, and go into details about what you do and how you help people and the differences that you make, let's just have, let's have our, uh, our required five minutes on the coronavirus. Let's do it. Let's do it. What's your take on it? Well, I, I think it's, um, it's strange to say, but I think there's a lot of good news that's going to come out of it. And I, I draw on an old uh, theory. It was created in the 50s or 60s. It's called the revolutionary evolutionary cycle. And this applies to individuals, organizations, societies, companies, the world. It, it, it's just very universal in its application. And essentially what it means is that we all evolve to a point where a revolution will take place. And that revolution is usually something traumatic in nature. Um, another theory that plays on this, which is a psychological theory, most people by the age of 25 have great difficulties making change in life unless it's through trauma. And we see this happen around us all the time. So it draws on similar concepts like the evolutionary revolutionary cycle. And I believe that this is what it is. I think that we're in a revolutionary cycle right now where there's a major world change taking place and the rules are being defined. Okay, so the old rules are being obsoleted. Uh, there are no new rules as of yet, but we're in the process of, of it being defined. So we're in a transition phase right now. And as we were speaking earlier, there's a lot of people coming up with some very interesting theories, um, very interesting predictions. Uh, I think it's a little too early. Um, and and that, coming from me, that sounds a bit unusual. I always like to be ahead of the curve as a strategist, but at times you need to recognize the reality of what we're in and, and step into a neutral mindset and realize um, you know, you know, shit's happening. <laughs> we need to step back and just recognize like, okay, we need to take a breather right now and, and, and absorb very carefully what's happening to understand where the hell it's going to land. So, yeah. Do you think yeah. the governments uh, uh, act in the way that you would hope them to? Or do you think around the world that uh, quite a few of them are making mistakes? I mean, I've seen in Stockholm, I have a friend in Stockholm, my best friend, actually. He's like, look, the pubs and the bars and the restaurants are still open. And they're saying, is that a bold move? Is that a crazy move? You know, they said this with the, the UK as well, to some degree. And then Donald Trump was giving everyone 
a huge amount of grief for being negative about it in the build-up until literally the last 24 hours when he's he said out loud, okay, this is really serious. So what, what, do, you, what do you yeah. take from that? Well, it, it's interesting because if you break it up into kind of Western and, and, and Eastern hemisphere, you find that some of the Eastern countries have been very proactively cracking down to make this thing resolved. And China has been an excellent example of that, right? So they, they got it under control. And then here again, it's out of control and they're getting it back under recontrol. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of information floating around. So we don't necessarily know the truth. So let me just be very specific about that. We're only working with whatever information we're provided with. And a lot of it, we cannot validate or verify individually. So let's just be very clear about that. What's interesting is every government is taking obviously a very different approach. There seems to be synchronization in certain areas. Um, what I saw in Canada, my own home country, the Canadian government had announced economic stimuluses before they did a lockdown. And the reason why they did that is they wanted to create certainty before people went into lockdown. And that's where I think a lot of governments, especially here in the UAE, so UAE government in, in the beginning, of course, I mean, this is an unprecedented time, so nobody knows really how to respond to this initially. Uh, but they're taking a very progressive and softer approach, which I think has worked very well. And the government here has done a very good job in keeping this on track. The challenge, though, with where we are right now is creating, creating certainty. A lot of people are uncertain. They're uncertain about jobs, their, their businesses, uh, regulatory things like, like residency visas. There's a lot of gray areas right now that have been created because of this situation. So we need... A, we need um, we need certainty. And, and one of the things that, that worry me that I see happening globally is big businesses are getting bailouts or financial support from the government. And if the consumer doesn't have money, they can't spend to buy those products. And so therefore, these bailouts, as we saw in 2008, go into the pockets of some very um, fancy people who can just pocket it because they can get away with it. And we don't want that to happen again. We need to be looking at economic um, measures that get the consumer strong again, getting citizens of countries confident about going out and, and spending and working really hard so businesses can, can grow and develop and, and so forth. And one of the things and through a lot of conversations I have, and if you probably noticed this happened to all of us right now, we're thinking we're going back to basics in many ways. We're thinking like, I'm worried about food. I'm worried about my rent. I'm worried about my clothes. I'm not worried about going to the movie theater. I'm not worried about discretionary spending that whole discretionary spending part of the economy is just gone it's wiped out and it's going to be a long time psychologically before people start thinking about those extras at the moment and and that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing i know it's shitty for people who are in those kinds of uh fields right uh but there's, there's a transformation taking place and we're going back to basics when you consider the fact that you're a growth hacker, let's, let's wrap, wrap that into the conversation as well. First of all, describe to everybody what a growth hacker is and describe yep. why a time like this is really interesting for somebody like you. Sure. So, so growth hacking in its simplest form is a shortcut for growth. And in my world, what a shortcut for growth is output versus input. So I give a very simple analogy in my book. It's equivalent to using four units of effort and getting one unit of result. That's where you are probably at the moment. And growth hacking is the transition point in the middle that goes from one unit of effort into four units of, of results, right? That transition point in the middle, that is growth hacking. And that's an ability to use what I call, uh, it's, it's called the growth dilemma. So the growth dilemma is essentially, it's the nightmare of every executive or leader or manager or business owner at the beginning of the year, beginning of the month and beginning of the quarter. I have these big results I want to get and I don't have the resources to undertake it. And so I find a way to um, bridge the gap and it usually results in poor performance, right? 
That's called the growth dilemma. And that's what growth hacking goes out to solve to do exactly that. So we are at a time where resources are obviously shrinking. Um, I would also, I think in a fair way, say I think our expectations of results are changing as well, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think they're going to shrink um, to a, a realistic level. That doesn't mean that growth hacking still doesn't exist. It's still going to apply, but we're going to get a lot better in optimizing the resources and capabilities we have than we ever had before. There's a saying, uh, I think you're, you're very well connected in the banking industry, and there's an old saying, and, and uh, you know, forgive me in advance for using this, but they say, you know, when the waves go back, you see who's naked, right? And so, and so when that happens, you, you find out like, oh shit, like this is the truth. This is what's happening. What am I going to do about it? And you find out really what kind of resources and kind of people you're dealing with. And so you become very realistic about how you're going to optimize. And that's where we are today. When you, when you talk about the, 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 the type of spending that people have stopped considering right now, I call it subconscious spend. It's that when you sit down and do a budget and you start realizing all the money that's going out every month on stuff that you don't need it to, that's when you realize maybe you're spending more than you should. And back in my days as a financial advisor, I'd sit down with people and they'd say, you know, my income's $10,000 a month, for example. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm like, how much of that do you spend a month? Well, we spend about 6,000 a month. Okay, great. So what do you do with the rest of it? Well, clearly it must be saved and then you go check the bank balances and that four thousand a month isn't there and hasn't been there at all for the last 12 months Absolutely. And like, i'm like well where's the four thousand a month then because if you're spending six then you've got four multiplied by the last 12 there'll be you know 48 months worth of cash uh forty eight thousand dollars worth of cash they'll be like oh yeah i didn't realize that so we must be spending money on other things and then you drill down again and you start to realize that loads of money goes out from people subconsciously spending and i think that's that's also with businesses as well you don't negotiate as hard when the, the, the dollars are rolling in. You maybe negotiate a little bit less. And at a time like this, everyone's thinking, shit, how do we make sure that we pay the bills um, and also keep the business afloat? And I think that the number one rule in business is to keep your business going. And lots of companies that had grand plans for 2020 with growth and uh, uh, profits and revenue, et cetera, might be having to think now that maybe those plans aren't the most important plans. The actual most important plans are to focus on how do we keep this business alive over the course for the next 12 months because in my opinion that that we might have a virus right now that hangs around for the next three six months or whatever it may be maybe even a bit longer but I, the, the virus is the essential um the the the, the kick in the balls as i would say to business yeah, 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 um, yeah. And, and that really is now starting fear and that terrible thing of uh, online gossip and concern that comes which makes situations probably 10 times worse in people's minds and business owners minds than the, than normally when you when you think about the experience that you've got raising capital for businesses think about all those companies in january this year we're like yeah we're going to go around our first our first round of angel funding and then we're going to look at what other type of funding we can do this year's a big year for raising capital now all of those companies must be sitting there going holy macaroni Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Um, there's a few unique instances where there are business models that uh, seem to be thriving in the situation right now. A lot of them have to do with logistics and delivery because of change in consumer patterns. Um, so, so those are a unique few, but the remaining, I completely agree with you. Um, the, the fundraising environment is, is very difficult right now, and it's going to be like that for a while. Um, Sequoia Capital, very early on, and for those who don't know who Sequoia Capital is, um, you know, they're the 800 gorilla, 800 pound gorilla of the venture capital world. And, um, Silicon Valley, they, yeah. Silicon Valley. Yeah. Yeah. They started to 
uh, step back. They started using a very soft language, but the fact that they were signaling that they're stepping back and they have a lot of dry powder being, that being funds that are left over that they can't allocate because of what's happening, um, that gives you a very clear indicator of where, how, where and how that whole industry will be working in the next little while. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities related to this are going to pop up, but they're not quite sure what those are going to look like. But yeah, I, I agree with you. And the discretionary spend you're talking about, I mean, I like the example you gave for the you know, 6,000 and they have 10,000 coming in, 4,000 and it's gone. That's a lot of people. And I can tell you one of the difficulties of living in a great country like the UAE is you have a lot of spending options. Every day you've got something new and interesting to spend money on. It's a wonderful way to live. It's a, it's a, you know, we've been very fortunate in many ways, but it, it has another side to it, a consequence where every single day we're on, on social media, seeing somebody eating something new, being seen somewhere, being seen somewhere new, wearing something else that's different. And so I want that. I want to try that. Let's go try that. And, and it's all available. Right. And the money just keeps going and going and going. We're not, most we're people, not. Well, most people come here, don't they? They're expat posting. They come here expecting to live a tax-free lifestyle. This is cliche for us to say because we've said it a yep. million times. But tax-free lifestyle, leave all your savings eventually down the road and go and set up back in your, your, your home country or wherever it is you set to be. And most people leave with nothing. Let's just yep. talk about some, some, some real facts that we have to deal with now. My, my, my guess is that the population is approximately 10 million here in this country my guess is that probably around 2 million are going to leave because I'm considering 20% unemployment and obviously no unemployment benefit, no national health service, no free education. So you can't stay here unless there's work. Would that be a fair assumption in your mind? Yes, I think you're hitting on something uh, very important here. Um, some very unpopular decisions are going to have to be made. Um, that's not customary to the leadership here. The leadership here is very generous. Uh, they're very uh, accommodating. Uh, they're very kind people. Uh, and that's difficult from a cultural perspective to have to make unpopular decisions. Um, right now, it's kind of like a pressure cooker. No one can really leave the country, so we have to stay. And so we're all in this together. And, you know, it's beautiful at 8 p.m. every day. We're out, you know, singing the national anthem and we're cheering on the police. So I encourage everyone to watch it. Please do that. That's really important because that energy gets everybody moving. Me, my son, my wife, every night are doing it. Keep doing it. And it's important. So we're lucky to be in this country. That being said, I think austerity measures, uh, very mild forms of austerity measures are about 60 to 90 days away. Um, you can see some forms of that already take place with Emirates Airlines. You, you'll see it in two forms. One is that they stopped, then they had to reduce salaries, and now they need a, a, a capital injection. Um, the aviation sector in general is about 37 to 35% of the whole GDP of Dubai, just to put that into perspective. That's wow, is Emirates it really? Airlines. Yeah, and it's not Emirates Airlines alone. I mean, it's the whole sector, but Emirates I Airlines know. is a major moneymaker. It's not a joke. It, it is an 800-pound gorilla. It's a fantastic product. They've built something amazing and you can't just let it drop like that. That being said, um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of job losses because people don't have money to spend and going back to discretionary spending. Um, and I know you, you tap a lot into the to insurance and into real estate. And so a lot of the real estate purchases, and I mean, maybe you can fill in for me here. Are they discretionary or are they necessity purchases? A lot of people were buying real estate just as, as discretionary purchases extra. It wasn't necessarily for my own living purposes. Now, if that was the case, it's a bit different, but that means that somebody who's committed and, and, and is set up here for a long period of time, a lot of the capital that we've seen come into that place has been highly speculative, right? And continues to be in many ways. I saw an article, I mean, remember, we were having economics problems before this virus kicked in. 
And um, as the real estate prices were going down, I saw an article come out that a lot of investors from India and Pakistan had jumped in because the prices were going down. It's still speculative purchases, right? This, where's the consumer who's going to live, eat, breathe, dream inside that home and build a life and a community around them, right? So mm. the, the profile of the community around us is going to change. Um, you know, a lot of people are going to make very difficult decisions. They're going to, you know, I, I suspect, uh, again, I mean, no fact here, but I suspect that some countries are going to repatriate some of their citizens later on. Um, it could be for a number of reasons. So I anticipate that that's going to be one issue. The second is going to be the um, auster mild austerity measures in about 60 to 90 days. And then I don't know where that will go from there, but usually that's the starting point of more of those type of activities to take place. Okay, so for the way the way I see it is um, we have emiratization that's been being slowly rolled out. I think that will be accelerated um, in terms of jobs uh, in in whichever sector. I see that the, uh, Dubai is an unusual place. I mean, I, this is my home. I've lived here for fifteen years, and many people came here for a short period of time but made it their home. So there's going to be people that lose their jobs but because it's their home we're going to try and find other work here um also i think there's people that have the mindset that renting sucks and you might as well have a mortgage and pay for your own property and so that that's why i think a lot of people have bought with the prices being down as well i think that there's there's people that are renting at the moment that may be coming up for renewal of their rent and and maybe bargaining on the fact that there might be a a free rent period or the ability to negotiate with the landlord to be able to get the rent down. But I also think there'll be people there that are in a one bedroom apartment right now going, hold on a minute, I can get a two bedroom apartment with a sea view with the same money. Um, or I can get a much cheaper one bed apartment somewhere else. So I think there'll yep. be <clears throat> some movement in those areas from, from, from a real estate point of view. I think that I think that what's always fascinating and whether that was 2008 when I was here for that or 2000, uh, so 9-11 in uh, 2001, I think that was, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And then in 2000, when we had, um, uh, when we had the, final, uh, the, the stock market bubble, so the, 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 the dot-com bubble burst. And then I remember Black Monday in 1987. When I, whenever I've been a part of any of these experiences, I've always uh, had and always heard, whether it was back then in the newspaper and on the television or now on social media, this is the worst thing we've ever experienced ever, ever, ever. And when you hear this is the worst thing ever, 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 it puts everyone into a state of panic. And, and I remember everyone worried about the banks going bust. And I'm sure if you were in Cyprus back then in 2008, people were having their money go missing because the banks couldn't afford to help them Greece as well. And so they, 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 they made that situation out to be very, very scary. And it was scary for a lot of people. But when we think about the human spirit, look, we came on and we progressed and we, did, we got better and we, we became um, more effective at what we were doing, more streamlined in our approach to business. And we made sure that the banks or the governments made sure the banks couldn't fail as they had before. And we got prosperity. When we look at October 87, we got prosperity. When we had the dot-com bubble, we got uh, prosperity. And I think that, that as much as we have to sit down and go, holy macaroni, this is, this is very serious. I think we have to also remember that if we're patient in the longer term, we're going to be okay. And so it, the, the world isn't going to you know, split in two and us all have to fly to the moon um, and start living again there. So I think there's, there's an element of, yes, take it really seriously. There are people that are going to have to leave. They're, 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 there's, there's no way in the world there's going to be enough jobs for the people here. I think also from, from that real estate perspective, 
there's people that, that uh, the, the, the price per square foot wasn't expensive here. It was cheaper than lots of places. When you start considering where people might like to be in the future, and I don't know the answer to this one, will Dubai be one of those places that people would like to be in the future? You know, the safety, the security, yep. the, the, the tax-free status, the, the nice lifestyle that goes with it. Um, and also the way, and I think this will reflect a lot as well, the way governments handle the whole coronavirus scenario. So you take the Czech Republic and it's like everyone has to wear masks no matter what, okay? Full stop, period, all the time. And they've been able to keep their rate of infection way down compared to everybody else. Germany, although they've, they've got a rise in their deaths recently, the fact is they had a high number of people infected and a very low number of people dead. So it was like, hold on a minute, what are they doing? What is Germany doing? And, I, I've, and they were basically testing much more. And so people will be looking at different nations and say, how do they handle it? And maybe they won't feel so favorably about Italy and Spain in the way they have before. Maybe their holidays and vacations, they'll be rethinking that kind of stuff. And maybe that plays into the hands of the UAE. Well, I think to start is, um, uh, I concur with you on the fact that the UAE uh, is my home uh, and we are committed to continue to invest and, and to push during the hard times. I mean, you've been through it, I've been through it. We know that these cycles will happen regardless of where you are. I think what's going to be interesting to where people will gravitate to is I think people are going to become more home oriented. I think that travel is going to really, really slow down even when it opens up again. And I think what it is, uh, Spencer, is that people are trying to reconnect with family, community, and spirituality because we've been so disconnected from it. And it's, and this is a very surreal observation for me anyways. Imagine that prior to this, we were all trying to find that space to become secluded so that we can get that breathing space so we can you know, reconnect and recalibrate. Today, the world, and, and it was because the world around us was moving. Now imagine the world around us has stopped moving and what's moving is us. And so we start to self-reflect and think about where the hell do I fit in this? People are going to start asking some very deep questions and looking for very deep answers to what they want to do and where they want to go. I think people are going to become more community oriented. People are going to be looking for community. And, um, you know, communities are formed in different ways in different countries. Some are more conducive, some are less conducive. Uh, you know, in, in a country like Canada, where I'm from, it's a very conducive place to, to, to community building because it's a whole bunch of immigrants who've been building for generations a country where people all come together and they melt it into a pot. It's a real melting pot. And so we all share this community and so we all contribute. Uh, the UAE is a slightly different than that. Um, I think that that might change. Uh, I have no idea, but I think people are going to become more community uh, oriented. I know several expats who are volunteering right now. Uh, they're putting their lives at risk to help all people, uh, regardless of their background. Um, I, I feel the same sentiment, and I'm sure you do as well, because we've lived here for such a long time. We celebrate the diversity of this country. Um, so I suspect that travel will definitely become a lot less. Uh, I think people are going to become a lot more home oriented. People are going to start reconnecting with family. They're going to start rebuilding community. They're going to be looking for their spiritual, um, uh, gravitate to wherever spirituality takes them. They're going to be really looking for these kinds of things. People are going to be going to basics. They're not going to be going into all these crazy discretionary things as they did. It's not going to fly anymore. Um, what that means to us here in the UAE, again, we've been very plush with many luxuries. <laughs> it's a place built on like a lot of amazing stuff. 
Um, it's an awesome tourist destination. And prior to this situation, again, uh, the virus situation, um, you know, the spending power of tourists coming here was becoming less anyways. You know, hotel prices were going down. Uh, occupancy rates were going down. So it was already already happening and they were already transforming and responding to those type of changes. And I suspect that after this, with the pop, part of the population that continues to travel, that will continue. It will become a lot more um, competitive or, or there could be new transformations in the way that people actually travel. I mean, now, I mean, like you see, we're on Zoom and everybody now is built around Zoom. Uh, nobody who knew, people who knew nothing about Zoom or were avoiding Zoom, everybody's Zooming every day now, right? <laughs> it's become central to, to, to our lives, right? And we're, we're definitely going to become a lot more virtual. But, you know, I, I've been in tech and innovation for 25 plus years now. And I do advocate virtual, but at the end, uh, I, I'm still human. And I, I, like you said in the beginning, we would prefer to do this face-to-face. -face. Uh, I would, by all means, rather than it being um, electronic like this. Um, and I think most people are like that because we yearn internally to connect. And so when we yearn to connect internally, we're going to be looking at community and spirituality. We're going to be looking at Com companies have been looking at efficiencies for years and years and years. And a lot of people have been getting on planes and going for business meetings in other parts of the world. Yet we've seen technology available for us not to have to do that. And whether that was a Zoom call or whether um, uh, I've seen even the, the what's it called when the, the, the person, I forgot what the name, the name of it is, but when the person's beamed into the into the office and you see a life size oh, figure. Oh, hologram. Around. Hologram. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, word. yeah, 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 yeah. You've, you've even seen the, you know, the hologram sits at the table with everybody else in that meeting even though they're overseas i think i think the the, the thing with travel from a business point of view is that we're, we're all going to realize that we probably could get a whole load done just talking like this and so do 100%. i need to get up at 5 a.m to get to the airport for six to get on a flight for 7 30 to get to saudi for nine and so that i can have my meeting at 10 and 12 and 2 and then get back on the plane and come home when maybe i could have got it all done by 10 o'clock if i had just just got on my zoom calls and so uh, I think I think we're going yep. to be, be be more efficient because it, it, we've been forced into doing it. It's another another thing. One of the businesses that I've got includes a um, a first aid training company where we do thousands of workshops across the city, and the nurses are busy every day at workshops, and obviously workshops had to stop. And so they've been able in ten days to be able to create a digital training course wow, and workshop, amazing. put it together. And before it was like, oh yeah, we'll get around to it. Oh, it will take a while. There's lots of planning involved, you know, oh, yep. you know, well, who wants yep. to be on camera? Well, no one really wants to do it and all that kind of stuff. And now it's like, we have no option. Let's yep. just get it done. And the speed yep. of being able to do that, it really is quite, in, uh, quite impressive. Yep. Um, when, you, when you consider yourself a, a growth hacker, how, obviously, you know, you take someone like Zoom. Zoom, yesterday they said that Zoom's value was more than all of the airlines in the United States put together right now. Um, and we've seen obviously astronomical rise in their stock price over the last 10 days, two weeks. When, when you look at businesses that, that really are gonna be able to take advantage of the, what I see is lots of opportunities here, there and everywhere across this place and everywhere else in the world. How, how are you gonna, because a lot of it will be obvious to us, won't it? You know, right, let's go and buy, you know, toilet rolls and sell toilet rolls. You know, let, let's, let's yeah. be in the hand sanitizer business or the chemicals that supply it or the packaging that supply it. Okay, or let's be in the video conferencing area and, and other things that are quite obvious to us. How, how do you, when people can see the opportunity, how do you add value? Well, it's all about being able to structure and execute on, on those particular ideas. So 
And I, I'll give you an example. 1998, I was at Comdex, which is the largest tech industry um, conference in Las Vegas. And, and I met Craig Corville, a very famous inventor. And he asked me a question. He said, how many people here in this conference, 250,000 people have the same idea as you right now? And I said, I, I said, I don't know. He said, there's at least 1,000 people right now with the same exact idea like you. And when you're the first one to put the resources and be able to execute on it, 999 people say you stole that idea. Like you didn't steal anything because you were able to execute and bring the resources together. That is the ability to take an idea or an opportunity and turn it into a growth hack and be making it scalable and what we call full scale operations. So growth hacking and then scaling it are two different things and then creating full scale operations so that it can become optimized and profitable are three different things altogether. So in my book, I'll plug it in now. <laughs> it, gives you the it gives you the blueprint exactly how to do that, right? So, so that's, that's, that's the name of the game. I'll give you a very interesting, tangible example that I've seen recently. Good. So as you said, um, okay, so everybody's had to jump into this virtual thing, whether they like it or not, and schools have been one of the biggest areas this happened. So my son gets on, they're using... Um, Google education, is it called? Uh, um, the Google solution to e-learning. And so all these kids are jumping in and they all got these questions and they're trying to chat in, in the right side there and the teacher is speaking, but she can't address the questions of the children, okay? And at that point I said, well, there should be some artificial intelligence that can identify the commonalities between these questions because maybe out of these 50 different questions in one session, at least half of them are probably the same or similar questions that can be combined and addressed almost immediately in a hierarchy that allows the teacher to now respond in the most effective way rather than guessing student by student. So in a classroom where she had these 30 kids, she would have to learn over a, a period of time how to respond and deal with each child. Now AI can just jump in and identify where, you know, 80-20 rule, 80%, where can I focus to get all these guys moving? And the kids that really need the focus now, really need the help, now can get it. Okay, that's really interesting. Right? We couldn't do that before. Teachers were suffering. I mean, they tried their best, but the, 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 the tech wasn't there. Now it is. It's pretty, pretty simple, pretty straightforward. When you look at the, 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 the companies that you'd have an impact, you've had an impact with over time, um, what, what do you look at? Give me an example of one that you're the most proud of. One that I built, well, I'd probably say the last one that I exited, to, uh, there was the NASA space certified company. So what was interesting is I kind of stepped back and be like, you know, if I had started this company roughly around now, <laughs> rather than in 2011, the, it would be a very different world because we were in the business of, 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 okay, so space technology and spirituality, which is a very unusual combination of, of, of two different worlds coming together. And we saw data that aligned with us and other think tanks. One of them was the Pew Institute in Washington, where we saw spirituality declining in some parts of the world and increasing just like this in, in other parts of the world that were just phenomenally different. We didn't actually see it coming. I think nobody saw it coming. And what happened was that we saw, um, not, okay, it could be a little bit sensitive, but what we saw was um, excess greed in certain cultures and other cultures that had reached the maximum of their greed and they started asking questions like what's next and so they started exploring more spiritual ways of doing things and so they would look at technology and how to accelerate that and that's the space that we're in and so that was probably the most interesting experience i ever had um you know working with the guys at nasa was 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 incredible it happened by accident it was never planned um you know it's very strange because for 25 years i've been working in 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 what i call the unknown so unlocking the unseen possibilities and here I am working with scientists who are breaking the boundaries of the unknown 
And so our affinity became like this just glue that brought us together instantly because we believed in something that nobody can see, but we found ways to make it actually possible, which is what they do and what I was about. So it was, it was, it was, it was phenomenal on all levels. Amazing. How long have you been a growth hacker for? Well, uh, I've been doing it for 25 years, but I didn't know it was called growth hacking. That, that's the funny thing about it. It's only in the last few years. Uh, so in the last three years, I've been studying the fastest growing companies in the world on top of the companies that I've built. And it comes from a very simple question. I said, why did some of the companies I build and seem grow and why do others don't, right? And there was some phenomenal you know, correlations between these different things. Some of them were, were just way out there. It was just literally luck and really unique. And some things had some very specific patterns, especially with things like how do you scale and then shift from scale to full scale operations. Companies that had mastered this were companies that were able to build the processes and systems regardless of how they were able to shift within market product, uh, product market alignment. Phenomenal, phenomenal. So, so what happened, the way it came about was uh, in the last company, as I was growth hacking, I'd work with a lot of guys in Silicon Valley and be like, hey, you, you should start a growth agency. You know, people who can help people grow companies. And it was of no interest to me at that time. But those people started uh, coming around me and saying, let's, let's put some of these things into play. Let's talk a little bit more about these things. How do we develop tools around growing companies? And that's where it actually sparked from. And, and, and it, it's a term that's only been recently coined, by the way. But it's been applied for hundreds of years. When you read my book, I talk about something called warfare mechanics, right? So warfare mechanics is where growth hacking originates from. And asymmetrical warfare is what growth hacking is exactly about. What that means is the small guy winning, right? So you see it happen all the time. Google was not Google, right? It was competing with Excite that they offered to sell their algorithm for $500,000 who rejected because they thought Google was a bad idea, right? So they were tiny. Look at them today, right? Uh, you see the same thing with Blockbuster versus Netflix, uh, Dropbox and Western Digital. I mean, today you look at these companies you're like, wow, man, this is just an amazing, I can't beat them. But they were, they were asymmetrical warfare experts. That's what they did. That's what growth hacking is all about. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Talk, talk to me about the, the, the future of education because you, you see the, the kind of like, online learning, artificial intelligence, and uh, online learning in particular is being forced upon people at the moment. And yep. there are organizations out there that have been doing it for years, like Udemy and stuff like that, and various platforms that exist. But when we think about the future of our kids learning, they're now settling into a pattern of getting up in the morning and going online and taking their classes. Do you think that that will be the catalyst for a fundamental shift in how education is delivered? Big time. I think there's going to be new immersive ways of education that didn't exist before where augmented and virtual reality are going to explode, right? They're going to explode because what happened before is they were trying to penetrate a user base and create adoption uh, in, in a world where people were not e-learning oriented anyways, right? Now imagine everybody shifted to e-learning. Bam, now your market size has just exploded, okay? They've got a lot of the tools already sitting in place. It's just a matter of aligning it. The other thing that I predict is that the education curriculum is going to shrink and it's about time it's going to shrink because, I mean, we, we all know this. We go to school and learn a whole bunch of things that we can't use or, or don't go very far. And you can't tell your kids that, right? You can't. You just got to keep going like, like our parents told us. And, and uh, I get it. I, I understand the wisdom behind it. But what you're going to find is a shift in how the workforce is going to work and how that's going to shift into education. So 
One example of that is Upworks and Fiverr. Now, why I use them as an example is before you'd hire a project manager, okay, and a project manager would sort out all these things for you. The idea of a project manager has transformed and has almost even disappeared. The reason being is the economy or what the gig economy has developed all these micro tasks, okay? So micro task is essentially, if I'm really good at just developing logos, let's say that's all I'm ever good at, and I can do it very well, very fast, high quality, and I got a marketplace that I can do that in, that's all I would ever need to really do. And now I can build all, everything I do around that. It's almost if you go back to the basics of economics, right? When the cottage industries were being built, um, you know, these guys were building these little tiny businesses that just did one thing, right? And so they all worked within an ecosystem that provided a solution and eventually turned into industry, right? It's almost like the same thing, but virtual, right? So they're breaking down these like, tiny micro tasks. It could be even a series of micro tasks, but they're really, really good and really fast at it. And so I wouldn't go have to go spend 10 times the amount to hire a graphic designer to create a logo, which is like a 10th of what he does. Rather I can, for a 10th of the price, hire a guy who can just do that, who does it day and night, finished, right? And just apply that across many, many different things. So you're gonna see education align with that, by the way. Okay. And then when you see um, that education manifesting itself in the future into the kids as they become older, you know, not everyone, not everyone's going to know what they want to do. You know, I, I'm in an exact example right now. So my, my eldest is at university. She's studying art and graphic design. She's at a great university in London and she knows what she wants to be. She's very clear in her mind what she wants Perfect. to be. And she's learning something that she's really passionate about, which I couldn't be happier for her. However, my youngest, who's 17 and unfortunately is not going to get an opportunity to get her A-level results from the looks of it with what's happening uh, with graduations and stuff, she has bounced from one thing to the next thing to the next thing and is sat there right now at home thinking, I have no idea. Dad, and she's like, Dad, I have literally no idea. I get excited about something for 10 minutes and then it goes. And then I get excited yeah. about something else that goes. And you know what? I have massive empathy for her because I think I was very much like that at the time. Yep. How, how, yep. How, does, how does what you're suggesting around education, how does that benefit my youngest? Sure. So, okay. So, so you've gone through this. I've gone through this as well, where, um, you know, when I went to school, something called strategy didn't exist. I couldn't sign up and get a master's in strategy or specialize in strategy. I figured it out by learning a whole bunch of things I didn't like. And then eventually by raw process, I found myself in something that was not available from an education perspective, but I was able to learn later Then it became its own discipline and I was able to work on it. So it's almost like when I do training around growth hacking, I tell people, you can't go to Harvard and say, I'd like to become a growth hacker. It's an emerging discipline, right? So you're going to have to learn it in other ways. The only answer to that, Spencer, is exposure, right? You need to get exposed to a lot of things. So, so I have a friend of mine, um, his sister is a very successful pediatrician, right? So she's studied all the medicine, all that. And then she wakes up one morning. She's like, I want to become a fashion designer. And you're kind of like, well, what the, <laughs> what happened? She's like, well, I just wasn't what I wanted to do. I discovered that just through exploring fashion is just my thing. Right. And it's weird for people to hear and feel because we got so used to being on this one track and being defined and boxed in like that. I think once we remove those cultural boxes around that, you can only be one thing or go down one path and become a lot more open to exploration. Um, we, we have so many ways to explore, by the way. I mean, social media, I know, I mean, of course, there's the constructive and deconstructive side to it, but it opens you up to a whole bunch of ideas that didn't exist. I mean, you know, the traditional education system, when you go to university, you get this like catalog and like, okay, where do you get boxed in? And then you kind of go into it and then you kind of figure out, oh, I don't really like it. Or, you know, for me, I, I wanted to become an architect. 
I went into architecture and I just didn't like it because I was in love with the design side, but I didn't like any of the other crap, right? And so I, I kind of went away from it. And in some metaphorical, strange way, I still am an architect, just without an architectural degree. I'm building businesses, right? Yeah. It's, it's a strange correlation. But, um, you know, that, that's what this world is coming to, man. It's got to explore, got to explore. And they're going to come up with unique things we never thought of. Now, when you, when you look at your years of experience in, in business and whether it be capital raise or developing companies and growing them, right now, sat here, if you and I were sat around a table and we had a pile of cash, let's say we had, I don't know, just we had a million dollars to invest and we said, right, we're going to start a business. We've got some cash behind us, ready to go. Nada, what business are we starting? Well, I'll tell you, let's order a Big Mac. <laughs> <laughs> let's sit back and relax. But I, I, know, I mean, all joking aside, um, yeah. The, there's too much dust in the air right now, right? The wisest thing to do is to be a little bit patient at the moment. Uh, we can make a lot of guesses. Um, I mean, education being one of them, health being the other one, government. I mean, and I'll tell you something funny. Those are the three sectors where disruption has been historically the most difficult industries to disrupt. Anything that's a disruption in those three areas has massive opportunity. And I'm just talking in general, right? Um, I don't know what's to come next. I, I think the best thing to do is um, this is a time, I built many businesses where I have the first mover advantage, okay? I built businesses where I'm the second mover advantage and third. And right now I would say the wisest thing is to be a third mover. Don't be a second, don't be a first. Um, there's so many unknowns. Um, you don't want to guess, you don't want to play because resources are getting tight. Wait, wait and see what emerges. In the last financial crisis, we had some phenomenal companies were established, whether that be Uber, Airbnb, Slack, Square, or even here in the region with companies like Bayut and also and also even a real estate brokerage. There have been some great success stories since the last financial crisis. And there's lots of commentary out there saying, you know, the best time to start a business is when there is a crisis. What's, yep. Yep. what's your opinion on that? Well, okay, so there's a, there's a proven history of many businesses being built at a very difficult time. So Airbnb uh, is one of them. Facebook is another one. If you look at their history, um, and Booking.com is another one, uh, to the specific industries that they tackle, they were actually in difficult times from an industry perspective, and they saw opportunity and kicked in. So I agree with you in that general statement, but what we're in right now is not your normal crisis. This, 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 is, this, is, this is phenomenally very different. But they said that they said that last time. Well, that's what they said. Uh, every every, every time see, there is a crisis, they say that as well. And of course, yeah. it's not it's not the same for sure. But the yep. financial crisis in two thousand eight had never been there'd never been an example of that in the past either, because banks had never been so over leveraged that they were about to collapse. Hence the reason Lehman's and yeah. Merrill's and everybody else went to the wall. And so when you you know and and the the dot com bubble, well you know that was all brand new and it had never been experienced before as well. So when that crashed, it was the first time that had ever happened. So although they're different and, and I understand, you know, this is virus and this is not purely, but you know, financial. Um, the fact is we've said this kind of stuff before. So. Yep. I'll tell you what the difference is. Um, in every one of those crises you've mentioned, they all start in one sector. And then from that sector, it explodes and then it becomes systemic. This is not the same. That's, that's the problem. So I remember in 2009, I was with my uncle and of course, ask him, what do you think that's going to happen? And he said, do you know, in 1981, last time, you know, when, again, going back to the cycles, he's like, people were selling their homes for $1 to get out of debt. He's like, do you know anybody that sold his house right now for a dollar in 2008? I said, no. 
I started asking around. I mean, I started asking them, do you know anybody that sold this house for a dollar? No, nobody sold their house for a dollar, right? Um, it was a different crisis at that time. It was related to energy, oil and gas, and then it shifted to technology, and then it went to financial sector. This is, this is not a sector. Not a sector. I mean, you could argue it's healthcare. I mean, if you really want to look at it like that, but it's not. It's, it's, it's so much broader than... than, than I'm sure, I'm sure the, hotels, yeah. <laughs> the hotels would argue with that. Um, yeah, yeah. You see what I mean? It, it's, 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 it's so... I mean, see, Spencer, imagine 7.8 billion people right now, mm -hmm. and we are all aligned in a way that we've never been aligned before. We're all equal, so, yeah. All equal. Like when, when, you know, when dot .bomb was having dot .com and all that, that was just for a few people, man. Yeah. That was for a very, limited, very certain type of people. Real estate was for a very certain type of people. This is, this is everybody. This is all 7.8 billion people coming together and aligned having the exact same problem. It's, it's unprecedented. It's not, it's not sector specific. It's scary. We, we, we as human beings get to, get to a point, particularly when we're boxed in as, as we are now, we get to a point where we kind of start saying enough is enough because we, our tolerance runs low, our patience runs low and we have to start doing something. And that's, I suppose, where the fight kicks in. When you yep. take the situation with the virus, when, when, does, when does the, the total, total collapse of the world economy become more important than the people that are dying? Well, uh, for me, I don't think people are dispensable. That's my own opinion. Um, people are the economy. If people are not well, uh, there's no economy to begin with it comes back to the same point i was talking about earlier it's not about bailing out aviation or bailing out automotive it's about bailing out the people who are going to spend to make businesses and the economy start humming again so when when the point is when when nobody can spend any more money which is if you look at it right now uh we're getting very close to that and it's speeding up right if, if you if we were to look at a timeline i think by summertime fall time is when we're going to really um, feel the pinch. Now, let me remind you of something, right? So earlier in March, when, when the um, WHO called this a pandemic, we got a small clip that went into the media. If you saw the whole interview, which I went back to look at very carefully, you'll notice that he gave a timeline of one year to 18 months, roughly to get this thing fully resolved. Okay. Now, Imagine sitting at home for 12 months. That's crazy, man. You're gonna, I'm already going nuts. Uh, I quarantined three weeks before we were actually locking down uh, just because I, I was like, you know what? Let me just, what, what, what's the harm? Let's just lock down before we officially have to lock down. You know, so I've been in this now for five weeks. I'm going nuts, man. <laughs> I'm going nuts. I mean, uh, you, know, um, you know, I want to get some sunlight. I want to walk around. I want to see some trees. I want to I feel some life around me. Um, you know, like on a personal level in Canada, where I used to live, most people live out in the suburbs. I think it's probably the same in the UK, right? You don't live in the inner city. And so you come home and things are kind of quiet, they're kind of calm. It's nice, right? But here in Dubai, I live in a, in a very energetic, lively place. And I love it. I've always, I, I love living like this because I, I love stepping out and feeling the energy, the people around me, because it makes me feel good about myself. It makes me feel that I'm actually part of a world. I'm a little cog in the machine, but yeah. here I am part of this energy force, right? And, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult for many, many of us. I have conversations with people like, you know, um, you know, everyone is cooking at home, right? <laughs> Everyone's making baked goods. It's, it's kind of awesome, right? We're spending more time with family. We're doing a lot of nice things. I mean, we're reconnecting. 
but for how long? I mean, we're, we're just going to go, we're, we're going to go nuts. But you know, if I was to give a timeline, I'm thinking by, by summertime, man. Fall See, I, don't, I don't think it can last that long. And the reason by is that the, the yeah. over 70% of the population live from hand to mouth. So from salary to salary. So when their salary is given to them at the end of the month, it lasts them until the end of the next month and then it's done. Agreed. And Agreed. most people and, and staggeringly high numbers of people have little or nothing in savings. So yep. that will lead people to uh, using their credit cards, which will probably, they will allow themselves to ex extend for another month. And so for me, I look at it and I'm like, okay, we've got April, and probably by the end of May, yeah, yep, yep people yep. won't have any access to any money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know, for people that don't live where their families are, um, it, it's not necessarily waiting for the airports to open again. It's can how do I buy a flight? Yeah, it's exactly. A, yeah, it's, it's a pressure cooker situation yeah. where we're so, all in it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah agreed. Because agreed. I mean, I had I had a lady friend of mine the other day that worked, worked for a client of mine. She had left the company. She said, I took January and February off because I hadn't had a holiday in a few years. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to work on my health and uh, get myself organized before I go back to work. And so she had four job offers ready to start in March. And wow. so she, she was happy because she had four job offers. And guess what? This thing came and all of those four job offers fell by the wayside. In the, yep. two, in the two months that she took off, she spent her savings. Wow. And now she's here. She's from the UK. She's here and she's, she's can't pay the rent to the landlord. Um, I said, get you, get your parents to, to put you on a plane and send you home. She's like, my, my, I don't know my dad and my mum has no money. I, I, I give money to my mum every month to support her. Wow. Yeah. She's like, she's like, what do I do? And yep. actually if you met her, you wouldn't think she was any different from the rest of us, but She's in a position that I think that, that, that many people are. And I agree with you. There's a and, lot of vulnerability. Yeah, I agree with you. But, and then, but here, there's, there's, there's no system. You know, in the UK, if you're earning under less than £50,000, 80% of your salary will be paid for the next two months or whatever it is. And so yep. there is that, that type of you know, structure in place. Social but, net, yeah. Here, there's nothing. And so I think people get to the point, that, and just, just as human beings, I agree with you. The connection with people, you know, out in my back garden here, I, I, you know, I have neighbors here that I've never, ever met. I've lived here on the palm for 10 years. I don't, <laughs> I don't know anyone. And these people, my neighbors, we're walking up and down the street of a early evening together, having a stroll, chatting to each other. And it's wonderful. But if you earn X per month and you spend X plus, no matter how much X is, you're going to run out very quickly. Yep. And this is, this is a place where, as you say, it's easy to spend money, but a lot of people also wear their wealth. You know, they don't necessarily uh, earn as much as they may portray that they earn and they, they live 100%. the life. And so yep. when, you, when you're cooped up, plus you run out of money, you, where do you go? I don't know, man. You're, you're asking the right question. I don't, I, I don't know the answer to it, but I think you bring a good point about there's a large part of the population that's extremely vulnerable. Uh, many, many, many people. I mean, uh, a friend of mine, you know, he called me up. He's like, are you in your house? Don't leave your house. I, in a joking way. I mean, of course, people are finding ways to, to get the lighter side of things. I said, could you imagine if you didn't have a home? What would you tell somebody stay home when they don't have a home? And then he just stopped. And I said, Listen, I mean, I wasn't trying to break the, the, the positive spirit he had. But I said, we need to step back and think about these things because we are responsible to help these people out, by the way. 
it's, it's not just their problem. This is, this is a, a together thing. I mean, this is one of the changes that I see coming up uh, out of this thing where we're, you know, up until this point, we were lacking empathy for one another, right? Until you shared this story, I haven't met this person, but now I have empathy for her no matter who she is. And she's somebody that I'd like to help and many other people like to help. And there's many more of them that we, we, we need to ensure they don't fall through the cracks because we are responsible for each other. We're no longer just responsible for ourselves. And it's, it's a tough one, man. I, I, I don't know the answer. I mean, I think governments, um, they need to step up to the plate. We're going to see the truth of, of leadership in the next little while. I believe leadership is probably the rarest commodity on the planet. Everyone thinks that they can go get educated in it. Everybody thinks they can do it. It is not by title. It is by responsibility. And you're going to find that there's either going to be some amazing leadership that's going to emerge and you can see a ton of failure in leadership. I suspect leadership as, as a theory will be rewritten <laughs> after this whole situation. Um, you know, what are the leaders going to do, right? And right now, I believe at this moment, literally within the next few days, governments need to start creating certainty for people. They need to start, um, you know, I understand we hear these, these things about stimulus packages and we read about it and it's breadcrumbs, right? To me as an individual, it's breadcrumbs. And I not that we're ungrateful, but what we need is certainty. We need a, a, a protection net that we know that the government is behind us. So we have the confidence to get out of our homes when, when we can get out of our homes, to actually go build businesses, to go get jobs, to, to do whatever it is, to volunteer for the government if needed, to help people in trouble. We need to have the confidence to do that, right? Where's the certainty? I think I could, sit and spend, I could spend the next three hours talking to you about this exact subject <laughs> and what you do. Yeah. How, how yeah. can people get hold of you if they want to follow you, mate? So you can reach me on my site. It's nadersabri.com or you can reach out to me on Instagram, which is underscore nadersabri as well, spelled N-A-D-E-R, Sabri, S-A-B-R-Y. And if anybody's got any questions, are they free to send you a message and you'll respond to them? Absolutely. They can hit me up on my site or on Instagram, active on both of them. So they can hit me up anytime if they have any questions. Yeah. Another great episode. Nada, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today and bringing your insights and wisdom. Don't forget, guys, this, this podcast is sponsored by the awesome Najahi events that work with us. Go check out Najahi Tribe, see what they're up to. They have an e-learning platform that really is flying right now. But for now, we'll catch up again with you soon with more interesting people to share stories with and learn about how we get through the coronavirus, but also how we can be inspired by people that have got a go-to attitude, okay, and can bring some wisdom to us and help us look forward. We'll see you all very soon. Thank you, Spencer. No problem.